In the late December of 1814, America was on the very brink of destruction. The War of 1812 had devastated the fledgling nation. Its treasury was empty, its economy was in ruins, and France, its greatest ally, was busy with its own revolution and unable to help. A few months earlier, the British Army had burned down the White House, the Capitol, and the Library of Congress. Britain's navy was floating menacingly off the coast of Louisiana, ready to assault New Orleans and take the American South. It appeared as though the United States' great experiment of democracy was about to fall apart. These were the desperate conditions that caused General Andrew Jackson, the man in charge of the defense of the southern U.S., to reach out to the pirates of Barataria for military aid. Barataria was a wretched hive of scum and villainy, a colony of pirates, slavers, and outlaws. Jean Lafitte, the most notorious pirate since Blackbeard, ran Barataria, and it was common knowledge that he had dozens of ships and hundreds of dangerous men under his command, not to mention the hidden caches of guns and supplies that he had hidden throughout the swamps. Jackson understood that his own men were tired, outnumbered, and outgunned. While he had previously called the inhabitants of Barataria hellish bandits, he knew as a strategist that their support would be necessary. He was running out of time and needed all the help he could get. Begrudgingly, he arranged for a meeting with Lafitte. America would need the pirates' help if it was to win the coming battle. Welcome to Shaking America, a history podcast. This episode's sources include The Pirates Lafitte by William C. Davis, Jean Lafitte, Prince of Pirates by Jack Ramsey, the Smithsonian article Saving New Orleans by Winston Groom, and the Lafitte National Historical Park online archives. Like most legendary pirates, Jean Lafitte's beginnings are shrouded in mystery. Some sources say that he was born in a French colony in what is now Haiti. Other historians have stated that he was born in rural eastern France. Still others have said his true birthplace was Spain or New York City. No matter the truth, it is known that Lafitte came from a large middle-class family of French-speaking people who worked as smiths and dockhands in the Caribbean. Jean Lafitte truly arrives in the historical record when he, along with his older brother Pierre, moved to New Orleans just one month before the Louisiana Purchase. They bought a plot of land and built a warehouse and a blacksmith shop. Covertly, the brothers began acting as fences, selling stolen goods from local smugglers and pirates coming in from the port. Jean and Pierre were very different from one another. Though the brothers were said to have looked similar, tall with long dark hair, their personalities often clashed. Jean was loud and charismatic and a people person. Pierre was rougher around the edges and got into more fights. Jean spoke, dressed, and carried himself in the style of an aristocrat, while Pierre dressed simpler and spoke more plainly. Both brothers had apparently spent time at sea in the French Navy, but no records have been confirmed. As a pair, the two brothers were an effective criminal team, and were soon some of the richest men in New Orleans. Jean built up a network of local politicians and civic leaders that he could bribe and rely upon for help, while Pierre built several new warehouses to store the influx of stolen goods from the sea. In 1807, the Lafitte brothers received an unexpected boon from the government. The Embargo Act, endorsed by President Thomas Jefferson, outlawed all imported goods from entering the United States. This had the immediate side effect of creating an explosion of black market trading, 
Jean and Pierre Lafitte became some of the most powerful criminals in the region almost overnight. The two reacted by expanding their operation. Jean, who spent much of his time fishing in the nearby bayou, wanted to use his knowledge of the geography to create a safe haven for pirates, smugglers, and criminals. He founded a new base for their illegal activities on the island of Barataria, deep in the swamps southeast of New Orleans. The swamps of this part of Louisiana are difficult to navigate even today, and are too shallow for larger ships, providing a maze-like hideout for Lafitte and his smugglers. Within two years, Barataria was a bustling port town with several thousand people working the docks, outfitting the smugglers and pirates that came in to offload their goods. Pierre, meanwhile, stayed in New Orleans, operating the blacksmith's shop and serving as a front to Jean's illegal activities in the swamps. It did not take the Lafitte brothers long to realize that a lot more money could be made joining the pirates instead of simply working alongside them. Soon after, Jean hired a crew, bought a small, fast ship, and began raiding the waters off of the Louisiana coast. His first score was a slave ship, a Spanish vessel carrying 77 captured Africans. He dropped the ship's crew off on an abandoned island and kept the ship for himself. He then sold the slaves to his own people in Barataria, making an incredible profit. Here's as good of a place as ever to address a few things about Jean Lafitte. While movies, books, and TV have often romanticized pirates, portraying them as lovable criminals with good hearts, the truth is often brutally different. Jean Lafitte was not a good man. He was a slave trader and a murderer who continued to pursue a violent lifestyle well after he had enough money to retire peacefully. Jean used his first score as a template. He would target slave ships, take the ship, and sell the slaves. Over the next few years, Lafitte grew his fleet of ships to a dozen and adjusted for inflation made tens of millions of dollars capturing merchant and slave ships off the coast of Louisiana. By the time the Embargo Act was repealed in 1809, the U.S. economy was in shambles. The Embargo Act had been a complete failure and had only resulted in heightening tensions with Britain while devastating legitimate American businesses. The criminals that supplied the black markets, on the other hand, had seen their wealth grow exponentially during the embargo. Now that the embargo had ended and imports were again legal, the Lafitte brothers had lost a valuable revenue stream. It was at this time that John turned his fleet to privateering, in addition to regular piracy. Privateering is essentially legalized piracy. A privateer is a person who attacks the merchant ships of a specific country under a commission of war. Usually nations will issue these commissions, called letters of mark, during a conflict with the hope of hurting their opponent's economy with pirate attacks. Jean Lafitte at various points privateered for France, Britain, Venezuela, and the U.S., and would often lie about which country was currently employing him if he felt it was advantageous to do so. In 1812, the Louisiana government finally decided to stomp out the Lafitte brothers' criminal empire. The governor, a man named William Claiborne, ordered bounty posters to be put up across New Orleans, offering $500 for the head of Jean Lafitte, essentially condemning Lafitte to death. The brothers responded quickly. The next day, the governor's posters had been taken down and replaced with a new bounty that offered $1,500 for the head of Governor William Claiborne. The posters were even signed by Jean Lafitte himself. Claiborne was enraged by this act of rebellion and petitioned for a militia to be formed to hunt down the pirates in Barataria. He had little success, however, since much of the state's legislature and legal system benefited from the brothers' smuggling and bribes. The most Claiborne could manage to do was arrest Pierre Lafitte in his blacksmith shop in the city on charges of aiding known pirates. This did little to slow down Jean, who continued to attack merchant ships of various countries and slipped back into the swamps surrounding Barataria. Jean was helped by the fact that the War of 1812 had just erupted, 
and the U.S. government had more to focus on than a few pirate attacks. As a result, over the next few years, the pirates of Barataria robbed and plundered with great success, while the United States got its ass kicked by the British Empire. In September of 1814, the British Navy arrived off the coast of Louisiana. They initiated a blockade of the Gulf and sent an envoy to Lafitte in Barataria. In exchange for his help and cooperation during the upcoming invasion, British authorities offered him a complete pardon for his crimes and claimed they would release Pierre from jail once they took New Orleans. Lafitte told the British emissary that he would love to help the Empire, but would need time to gather his men and rally their support for the crown. Then, after the British soldiers had left, Lafitte secretly sent a letter to his old enemy Governor Claiborne, warning him of the upcoming attack. In the letter, Lafitte offered to surrender to the governor and help him in the defense of the city. Lafitte claimed in the letter that he wanted to be a proud American and would repent for his crimes, though he made sure not to actually admit guilt of any kind. Historians are split on what this letter actually means. Some believe that Lafitte was genuine and loved America. After all, he made a lot of money selling his stolen goods in America. Other historians, and I'm in this camp, believe that he thought America would survive the war and eventually be easier to deal with than the British Navy, Considering Lafitte and his men robbed and killed countless Americans previous to him writing this letter, I am not especially convinced of his patriotism, but rather I believe that he was a cunning person who chose America's side because he believed it to be advantageous. Governor Claiborne was also unconvinced of Lafitte's love of America, and refused his help. Of course, the fact that Claiborne hated the Lafitte brothers and previously had wanted to hang the two probably influenced this decision. After Governor Claiborne turned down Jean's offer, Pierre mysteriously escaped from prison. While this was all happening, the people of New Orleans were living in fear of the British assault. They were relieved when General Andrew Jackson, already a man with a fierce reputation, arrived in the city. Despite suffering from dysentery, Jackson exuded confidence. In a fiery speech, he famously told New Orleans he had come to protect the city and drive the British into the sea or perish in the effort. On December 12th, the British began their landing operations. As skirmishes broke out near the city, Jackson had the dilemma of being both outnumbered and without supplies. Swallowing his pride, he reached out to Jean Lafitte, who was still in hiding with the bounty on his head. After some tense negotiations mediated by a federal judge in Lafitte's pocket, Jean was given a military escort to Jackson's war room. Jackson was immediately surprised at Lafitte. He had expected a grizzled swamp pirate, not a person like Jean who had the clothing and manners of a gentleman. Lafitte offered Jackson his swamp guides and full access to the various supplies he had hidden across the bayou. He also offered himself and his men as reinforcements to Jackson's army. Jackson, to everyone's surprise, accepted. The Baratarians were split up into two groups in order to help Jackson's men create fortifications for the defense of the city. Lafitte was stationed next to Jackson and operated his own cannon at the front of the line. As the sun rose on December 28th, the British army finally marched on New Orleans. Stepping to the beat of hundreds of drums, the Redcoats pressed forward from morning into the mid-afternoon. They took heavy casualties, getting torn apart by a combination of American rifle fire and Baratarian cannon fire. The British maintained their assault until the number of deaths on their side proved too much. They retreated, taking their wounded back to the ships. While another clash between the Americans and the British would occur a few days later on January 8th, the British leadership were already taking steps to withdraw from the continent. Jackson would continue to use Lafitte smuggling routes to move supplies between his regiments, but by January 21st, the British had disappeared, headed back home. A parade was thrown for the soldiers and the pirates, and they celebrated side by side. On February 6th, President John Madison pardoned Lafitte and all of the other Baratarians 
who had aided in the defense of the city. Lafitte's newly clean criminal record did not last long. Soon he was back up to his old ways in Galveston, Texas, where he founded another pirate fort and tried to recreate his last operation at Barataria. This new pirate haven, called Camp Peche, only lasted a few years before conflicts with the locals and the U.S. Navy forced Lafitte to again go on the run. When the Navy arrived at his fort looking to arrest the infamous pirate, Lafitte simply sailed away. The last years of Lafitte's life are as mysterious as his beginnings. Here's where we really get into conjecture, folktales, and legends. Some say Lafitte continued a life of piracy and was eventually killed in a ship battle and buried at sea. Others say he retired to Mexico, where he buried his gold and lived a quiet life under a fake name until he died of natural causes. Maybe the craziest theory I've seen is that Lafitte sailed to the Mediterranean, rescued Napoleon from exile, and then they spent their last days in Cuba just partying hard together. No matter the truth, Lafitte's death was never confirmed. Maybe he's still out there, sailing around looking for a new place to set up a pirate kingdom.